Daniel chapter one, we're gonna pick up in verse three. It says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, who was in charge of the palace officials, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So remember, I'll push pause, just so you know, we remember where we're at right now, because we haven't studied this for about three or four weeks. Where we're at right now is Israel is in captivity under Babylon. They're in captivity under Babylon mostly because they, they just would not obey the Lord consistently throughout the years. So the Lord brings about Babylonian captivity as a teaching tool for them. So they begin to understand that obedience to the Lord brings blessing. Disobedience to the Lord brings difficulty. That's a great principle for us to remember. Let's pick back up in verse four. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with knowledge and good sense and have the poise needed to serve in the royal palace. Teach these young men the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily ration of the best food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for a three-year period, and then some of them will be made his advisors in the royal court. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief official renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He, said that he asked the chief official for permission to eat other things instead. Now, Daniel, now God had given the chief official great respect for Daniel, but he was alarmed by Daniel's suggestion. My lord, the king has ordered that you eat this food and wine. He said, if you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded for neglecting my duties. So Daniel talked it over with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief official to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's rich food. Then you can decide whether or not to let us continue eating our diet. So the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the, king, the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the rich foods and wine. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for learning the literature and science of the time. And God gave Daniel special ability in understanding the meanings of visions and dreams. So when the three-year training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief officials brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with each of them, and none of them impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they were appointed to his regular staff of advisors. In all matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, the king found the advice of these young men to be 10 times better than that of the magic magicians and enchanters in the kingdom. So Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus's reign. So Lord, right now we just ask you would bless this time as we study the scriptures, open the eyes of our art to things that we need to see. Lord, would you uh, drop nuggets of wisdom and truth into us? We, we, as we study these young men, Lord, my heart cries that we become like them in our day and in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. I want to consider as we jump into this text, this, this last few phrases, specifically the ones that say that none of these young men that were brought before the king impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. And I want to begin there and I want to present that 
because I think that what they present for us is something that I feel like God wants to do in our day and our time. In fact, I would declare it. I think it is the heart of God for his kids right now. I would submit that this is the marketplace desire of God for his kids. The marketplace desire of God. What's the marketplace? The marketplace is everywhere I live outside of this room. It's the job I go to. It might be the school I attend. It's, it's, it's my life lived outside of this. And so often in the kingdom, we take everything in the scripture and we want to superimpose it into church life. But I think what this story brings to light is something that's super important for us. And it's that this is God's marketplace desire for his kids. These four young men, this book, we're going to study them. And as we study these four young men, young men what we're going to realize is this. God uses them and their walk with him, the way they serve God, he uses it to shape an entire nation. And I think that we are to become the conduits of supernatural wisdom and judgment in our day and in our time. What that means is that we live in our culture, in all the different places that we touch, we live there with, as Paul would say it, the mind of Christ. So that when the world around us needs wisdom, when the world around us can't figure out how to solve a situation and they're looking for proper judgment, that they would learn to come to the people of God because what they find in the people of God is a supernatural deposit of this intelligence. Does that make sense? So as we consider this passage, I want to kind of work backwards through the text. And I want to look at two different categories. I want to look at what God gave these young men to work with and what they gave God to work with. Because I believe what God gave them to work with would would line up for me as the promises of what he does. How many understand the idea of an if-then statement? And I think that there's so many if-then statements in the scripture, and they go like this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, then I will. We understand that one. The idea is that there are several things in the kingdom that God would say this about. If you will do what I've given you to do, That is your declaration of faith and trust to me. By appropriating the obedience and living life how I've called you, what you're saying is, I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to trust you with your part. See, this creates a dynamic tension. How many have ever heard the word sovereign, that God is sovereign? Anyone confused on what that really means? Here's what, let me give you a simple answer to what it means. God is sovereign means that He is God all by himself. He can see the end from the beginning. And I think the sovereignty breaks down in these two tension points. I'm going to do everything God gave me to do and live obedient in that way, trusting him to manage everything that's in his world. Because I can really only control me, correct? And so what we see in these four young men that I want to highlight is, first off, I want to look at what God gave them, what God gave them to work with. The first thing is, God gave them supernatural gifting for marketplace tasks. Think about this verse. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude. What does aptitude mean? It means they, were, they had a leaning towards it. They were unusually gifted in this area. God gave them an unusual aptitude for learning the literature and the science of the time. And God gave Daniel a special ability in understanding the meanings of visions and dreams. So what's important about that for me is the first thing I notice is this is not about a church gathering. It's about the marketplace. These giftings, this aptitude the Lord gave them was about their daily lives. It was supernatural gifting that is displayed in the marketplace. And I think that's his goal for us. 
to place sons and daughters in the marketplace with unique abilities, so much so that it causes the world they touch to lean into them, be blessed by them, and ultimately be able to say, oh, we get it, you're drawing from a different source. How many have ever heard this phrase? Preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's, uh, I think it's, it's either Brother Lawrence or St. Francis of Assisi. What I love that it says is, your life will say more about your faith than your words will. And that's what I see here. That's what I see that these guys were very gifted in. Now, God had given them an unusual aptitude. This word aptitude is important because he gave them a lean for learning. Notice it doesn't say he gave them knowledge. What does that mean, Greg? It means God didn't do it for them. He didn't learn for them. He still required them to work and invest in their gifting. What's important about that? It tells me that my giftings are discovered in the opportunities he gives me to work hard and appropriate excellence. There are tasks, there are skills that he's put in front of all of us, unique and different. And as we learn to appropriate hard work and a passion for excellence, we will find gifting. And oftentimes, we don't know where we're gifted because we haven't appropriated the hard work and the excellence yet. The second thing we see that God gave them is God used the adversity they were facing to perform miracles through their lives. It says, at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by their king. So we think about the food that's assigned by their king. It's full of protein. We know this if we study history. The Babylonian cuisine was, was pork-based, and so they were definitely getting meat. How many of you are fans of meat? You're like, you know, I think, yeah. I mean, I can't wait for summer because the grill fires back up. I'm like, oh, finally I can eat again. Because, like, wintertime's like soups and stuff. I'm like, oh, I, need to, I just need meat. So think about the supernatural thing that happens here. They eat vegetables only. Now, I don't know about you, but I've studied enough nutrition to know that nowhere when they say, get your protein helping, do they say, go to vegetables. So there's a miraculous thing that happens here. They eat only vegetables and drink water for three years, and yet they come out the other side of this time looking healthier and fatter. So any of you that thought the Daniel fast was that shoe in, just, it's, you, know, you missed the point. They didn't lose any weight. They're just a thought, just throwing it out there. Because if we look at the statement that the official makes, the official makes a statement, you're going to look pale and thin. What's the opposite of thin? Right. They didn't lose weight. They stayed incredibly healthy. God was using them in the marketplace to display his power. And I think we have to understand that it's still his pattern in our day and in our time. That we're being positioned in situations that open the door for his miraculous authority to be revealed. What does that teach me? It teaches me that I have to change the way I look at my adversity. I have to change the way I look at my circumstances. I have to quit being opposed to them and begin to realize that God, by his grace, will put me in situations where he and only he can display his power. And that is how he's going to use his kids. I'd say it this way. My adversity is his opportunity. And some of us need to realize that our adversities are his opportunity. 
And we want so much to believe that my adversity is just the thing I need to be saved from. What happens if he placed us there for the purpose of displaying his power, showing his miraculous authority? The third thing that God gave them was supernatural favor. It says that God gave the chief official great respect for Daniel. And then when the king talks to them, in all matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he doesn't find anybody who is, is appealing to him, who, who he's drawn to as much. So God gave them an attraction in the marketplace. The leadership and the authority that was over them was predisposed to honor them. And I believe that's still God's purpose and plan for us. But I also believe it's in this idea that God wants to pour out supernatural favor on his kids in the marketplace. It's in this idea that we must push pause and ask the question, so what did they offer to God to work with? Because I believe the favor given by the Lord was something that they partnered with. They met it with something. What they gave God to work with, the first thing we see is they lived with honor and protocol. What does that mean? Look at this, Daniel asked the chief official for permission to eat other things instead of what was assigned to him. And then listen to the language of the narrative. Daniel talked it over with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief official to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He said, test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables. At the end, see how we look. If you like it, we'll keep doing it. If not, we won't. It's all very honoring. The word ask here literally means to request means to make, to ask permission. I would say it this way, it's a humble request. Daniel offered options and did not leverage ultimatum. The reason why that's important is if we looked at it from a moral high ground point of view, a biblical moral high ground, who was right in the situation? Daniel is actually right in the situation biblically. Why? Because as we said before, the Babylonian cuisine was pork-based. The children of Israel were, were prohibited from pork. This was part of the dietary provisions that God gave them, and he had called them not to eat pork. And so what Daniel was really saying is, my religion doesn't let me eat that. But I want to highlight the way Daniel went about that. Even though he's right, he's righteous. He's like, you can't make me sin. He could have gone to all of that, but instead, even in the midst of being right, he still appropriates this honor and this protocol because I think Daniel understood a very important fact and I want us to hear this. It's always in our hearts to want to manipulate and reveal and, and step into authority but the father, your father, my father will move leadership in the earth to honor what matters to him for his people. Catch that. Proverbs says it this way, the leader's heart is like water in the Lord's hand. He moves it where he wants it to go. Which leader? The church leader? No, no, no. There's no, there's, there's no delineation. It's leadership in general. Did you know that God, the scriptures teach that God's placed, placed all leadership and authority? Did you know that the scriptures also teach us what we're supposed to do for authority? We are to serve faithfully and we are to pray. Those are the two things given to the people of God to do towards leadership. What if they're bad leaders? That's God's problem. He placed them there. And Daniel understands this. And I believe what we are supposed to be 
is ambassadors of honor and protocol, protocol for our king in the marketplace. That it could be said of us that there's no one that walks in more honor than the believers. There's no one who's more protocoled than believers. And some of us, I use these words, what is honor, what is protocol? Let me define them the way the Holy Spirit taught me. I was somewhere 29, 30, 31, somewhere in this time. Now, the Holy Spirit, I went on a, a prayer and fasting time and, and went away and, and holed up for a couple days in a hotel room to just seek God. And the whole time the Lord began to deal with me about honor and protocol, which might seem super cool, but if you really think it through, it means I didn't know honor and protocol. And so the Holy Spirit gives me these two phrases that I want to share with you because I think they're incredibly important. Honor deals with your attitudes towards leadership and authority, be it God or man. Honor deals with your attitudes, what's going on inside of you towards them. Has anyone ever had that thing where you're like, you know, when, when there's something about the leadership around you, something about the, whether it's a boss or it's, an, it's a manager or it's a teacher, where you're just like, they're just an idiot. <laughs> you feel it inside. You might not let it out, but it's just kind of dialing up within you. I would love to say it's cool, but it's not. It's dishonor. If I believe God places leadership and authority, and I know that God's called me to humbly, gently serve and pray, then my only response at a heart level is to say, Lord, I trust you. I will walk in honor towards these people. See, honor deals with my attitude. John Maxwell will say this, your attitude affects your altitude, just like a plane. We don't think our attitude matters, but it will control the trajectory of our life, specifically when it deals with leadership and authority. If we don't understand how to walk in honor towards leadership and authority around us, we forfeit the favor of God. You see, because what these young men did that was incredible is the reason why it was easy for, the Nebuch for Nebuchadnezzar and for the Babylonians to lean into favor for them is because Daniel and his friends walked in honor towards leadership. And some of us need to work on this question. Do I walk in honor towards all leadership? How many feel like you were like me and you were born rebellious? I have news for you. It's called sin nature. You were, you were born independent and rebellious. And it is the cause of Christ in you that will cause you to learn how to submit, receive authority and walk gently. That's just the way it works. We look all the way through the scriptures. There's a rebellious, there's a rebelliousness, there's an arrogance, there's a bravado that's in all of us that comes from our sin nature. And honor will teach us how to manage this. Protocol, if honor deals with my attitudes, protocol deals with my actions towards leadership and authority, be it God or man. And these two are inextricably linked. To way, the way my attitude works will affect my behavior. To walk in right protocol means I am unwilling to step out of line behaviorally. I'm unwilling to choose behavioral patterns that are dishonoring, that are rebellious, that are insubordinate. This is what Daniel and his three friends do. The second thing they did is they lived in control of their minds. Verse 8 says, Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself. The term made up here means to appoint. The root word for mind here in the Hebrew is lab. And if you put these two words together, because the Hebrew is a, is a pictorial language, it's, it's communicated through symbols. The symbol of these, this word phrase is a shepherd's staff or crook. The idea is something that is, walking, is standing in authority or a guard. 
So this word represents having full authority over the inner man. The word literally, if you think about from a shepherd, what they use the crook for, or the hook on their staff, it's when a sheep goes out of line, they can reach over and grab it and pull it back where it's supposed to be. The idea is that we're in such government of ourselves that when our attitude or our protocol wants to go astray, we can reach over with our mind and go, nope, you're not doing that. We're staying right here. It says he made up his mind not to defile. The root word here for defile means to soil or to free up. It's an interesting idea. This word to soil means to invite something unclean into the clean. So it's an idea of something being pure and clean and we've allowed something unclean to touch it. This free up concept means to remove something from discipline. You see, Daniel understood that controlling the inner man begins with the mental determination to choose behavior that lines up with the word of God. I would tell you this, that Daniel decided, he made up his mind, I'm not gonna break what God said. But how he executed that was through honor and protocol. It wasn't through bravado. Paul will talk to us about this mind idea in 2 Corinthians 10. Paul will say it this way, casting down reasonings and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and leading captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. This phrase, leading captive, is a military term that Paul uses. He's pulling from the imagery of the Roman culture around him at the time. The Romans had a pattern. They would go conquer a land, and when they conquered a land, they would enslave everyone that was in that land, put them in chains. They had the, these handcuff-looking chain things, that, so the, there would be a band around each hand. It was connected by about four inches of chain, and then there was another chain that would go down. It would connect to ankles, and it had just enough leeway where they could walk. Not enough that they could run, but enough that they could walk. And they would march these prisoners two, three, four hundred miles from the lands they conquered. Say they conquered the area of Gaul, they're going to march them all the way back to Rome, all that land, and they're going to make them walk the entire time, parading them as captives. This is the terminology that Paul uses for what we are to do with our thought life. That we are to look at every thought that enters our mind as a potential war crime. It is either for me or against me. To the thoughts that are for me, I will let them pass because they're leading me to righteousness. If they align with the word of God, if they align with the character of God, if they align with the direction the Lord's taking me, great. To the ones that are anti-God, that do not align with the scriptures, that will not lead me to life, I am gonna take them captive, enslave them, and I'm gonna march them right back into the city of my life and show them the Lord and go, look, this one didn't want to obey you. I'm giving it to you to deal with. This is the terminology Paul uses. It should help us understand the severity of this discipline. I would say it this way, winning the mind game leads us to win the behavior game. A mind that is surrendered to Jesus will always be revealed in behavior that is surrendered to Jesus. And we live in a culture that wants to be able to believe one thing and do another. If we go back in history, this is the root of Gnosticism. Gnosticism says my mind can hold belief sets and patterns. My body does not have to follow those. They're disconnected. My mind, so you see the Greeks and the Romans both understood the mind as part of the central inner man. 
Oh, God already dealt with that part. The actions don't matter. Church, the actions matter. And to the level the government of God is in the inner man, it will show in the behavior, so much so that when I see behavioral patterns in my life that are contrary to the scripture, it just simply means the inner man's not under control. You see, Daniel and his friends offered minds that were controlled and a humility to walk in honor and protocol. And with these two things, what they offered to the Lord was what he needed to begin to display what he wanted to do for them. And I would suggest to us that it's the same today. If we would live in the marketplace with these two simple things, I'm gonna be in control of the mind, my thought life and my behavioral life are gonna line up with the scriptures. And I'm gonna walk in honor and protocol towards leadership and authority. With just those two things, if we would do those, what we would see is the Lord stepping in and miraculously providing in the supernatural, with favor in our lives. I believe it has always been on the people of God to be the most blessed, most favored people in the world. That is his heart. Why? Because it's always been his intention to cause the outside world to lean in and go, I need what you have. How do I get it? What is wrong with the world being so jealous of how we're favored that they want to learn about our king? I can't find a single thing wrong with that that we walk around in such grace and such favor that the outside world says, I need to figure this out. Maybe they even want it for the wrong reasons. I just need to get your favor. Great, you wanna get our favor, meet our dad. And he'll teach you how to live. You wanna live like, yes, it works for everybody. You wanna live like he says to live. Here's the favor that comes with it. To the contrary, what happens when we live in our day and in our time and we're not people that live according to the purpose and plan of our Father, so we're not living in favor, so the world's looking at us and what they're saying is, why would I want what you have? It doesn't work. Whew. You see, if we will be people that will walk in a controlled mind, living according to the scriptures, in honor and protocol, we open the door for him to do what he wants to do with us. And our lives become a witness to the world around us of who he is. All right, let's stand.